But this morning I wanted to talk to you about something that as I've been doing a study with our Sunday school class over the last six weeks about being a follower of Christ. I don't know, I've just got this feeling as I've been studying what it meant back then and what it kind of means to a lot of Christians today is that it's lost its meaning a little bit. Um, the sacrifices aren't as great. And as we, we get into our... Um, so we get into our scripture this morning, we'll see um, exactly what we're talking about here. It's a scripture you guys are all familiar with. Uh, but what does it mean to be a true, a truly committed follower of Christ? And I hope to bring a, a little bit of uh, light into that in my, in my sermon this morning. But uh, as I said, we've been doing a, a series. Uh, some of you have read the book or have at least known about the book. It's been out a long time. It's called Not a Fan. It's by a pastor named Kyle Eidelman. I like to listen to Kyle, some of his stuff. And, um, but it's called Not a Fan. And what we looked at and discussed was a difference between what it really means to be a follower or just a fan of Christ. And most of us are fans of something, whether we're sports fanatics or um, whether we like to you know, go to different events, uh, rodeos, whatever it is, we know what it means to be a fan. And that usually is just to sit in the bleachers, watch, enjoy somebody else doing battle on the field, whatever that may be. But that's not what God's called us to be. I was going to have Mark put up some pictures of some crazy fans up here, but I didn't get him a, an outline or any kind of information until this morning. So I said, forget it. But if you've been to any kind of football games, you've seen those fanatics, or for me it was soccer games or whatever it was. Uh, but I used to be a season ticket holder at the Denver Broncos when I lived in Colorado, and they had a guy named the Barrel Man. And the Barrel Guy, he is exactly what he says. He wears a barrel with suspenders and it doesn't matter if it's 20 degrees outside or if it's 60 degrees outside. He's just in his barrel. That's it. I, obviously I think he wears something inside the barrel I hope but he's a large man but he's a fan. He's a crazy fan. We've seen those people. You know I'm a cheese head by birth. You've seen the cheese heads, the, the Packers fans. Um, we know what it's like to be a fan. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, the fans are just usually the ones that like to admire. And maybe just sit in the stands and cheer, but to be a follower of Christ, it just got really hot up here. Like, it just came up really strong out of nowhere. <laughs> um, it takes a whole different level of commitment. So I wanted to ask some of you this morning... When you accepted Christ, and I can't make any assumptions on anybody here, but when you accepted Christ as your Lord, did you accept Him just to be a believer, a fan? Or did you answer a call on your life to be a committed follower of Christ? What was your level of commitment there? And I'm afraid in our churches today, there's a whole lot of just believers and the things that God can do for us, but... And I say we because I struggle at this myself. Being a true follower of Christ. No matter where He asks us to go, no matter what He asks us to do, are we committed to that? There's a big difference there. There's a different level of sacrifice that comes along with that. 
So there was a chicken and a pig walking down the street one day. And they, as they were walking, they come across a bunch of kids playing in the street that looked like they hadn't eaten in a long time. Malnourished kids. The chicken says to the pig, Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we feed them and give them a good breakfast of ham and eggs? Huh. You guys know where I'm going with that. It's a different level of sacrifice there. The pigs kind of look at me like, wait a minute. That's a total commitment of sacrifice on my part where the chickens just got to lay a few eggs. We have different levels of sacrifice. I asked our group a couple weeks back, what exactly have you had to sacrifice in your life to be a follower of Christ? And if you really want to look at it, and I start looking at my life as I'm going through this study, I don't know if I've really had to sacrifice too much. It's been a pretty easy road for me. I said yes. God blessed me with people in my life that encouraged me to step up in, in service and, and use my gifts. I didn't stick around in David's class, but he was talking about gifts. I know what mine is. And as he said, we all have all of them, just some of us, you know, we, we have to know which ones are right. Um, I didn't stick around in the whole, sorry for that, but it seems today that being a Christian can just be pretty common. It's just the thing to do. Seems we just have to go to church, claim to believe in God and that Jesus died on the cross. And that's true. Those are the things we have to do to become a believer in Christ. Amen? But James in his second chapter also teaches that without works, faith without works is dead. That there's a follow-up to that. We can't take both roads and accept Jesus and then do nothing and just sit in the stands while others are on the battlefield fully committed and willing to sacrifice just a little bit whatever it takes in our own life. We're going to look at our scripture which is going to be in the ninth chapter of Luke. We'll start off in verse 23. And again, like I said, most of you all are familiar with this passage of scripture. But in the first century at the time of Jesus, it meant a whole lot more. It was a total commitment. I didn't bring my Bible up here. I think it's still in there. Can't believe I did, didn't bring my Bible up here. I don't want to use my phone at the pulpit. Man, Spence will never let me have the end of that. <laughs> Amen. Don't get your phone out when you're preaching. <clears throat> no, nah, I could. It's still the Bible. It's still the Bible. In verse 23 of the ninth chapter of Luke, and it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate that. I'm going to need it again. I have my memory. So there's a point that I wanted to look at here. There's two points, actually. And the first one is where he calls them to come after me. I believe he's talking about a passionate, romantic pursuit. 
in this situation. He wants us to bring everything we have. Come after me. Pursue me, right? He wants our thoughts to be consumed, our resources. He wants us to be consumed with our energy. He wants us to know him completely. There's an aspect of pursuit. And I asked my wife this morning if I could tell this story with her permission. But when I looked at that idea of pursuit, and our class knows this, I've told them this, and some of you may know this, but when Aaron and I were very young and dating and she lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, I lived in Denver. Uh, we had only known each other a couple months. Um, just kind of getting a feel for the whole thing. I was not interested in a relationship at all. I just got out of a six and a half year relationship with a girl through college that was a toxic deal and I was just swearing off any kind of relationship. But I'm, I meet this girl, Erin Kaiser. Two months into us talking, a friend of mine from college is getting married out in Santa Barbara. He's a Cali guy. So he's getting married up in wine country and all of us guys, we all fly into LAX one evening and we're going to all meet at the same time. Seattle, Panama, Minnesota, we're all converging on LAX at the same time. And as I'm exiting the plane, I come out of the jetway and there's Aaron standing in the terminal next to my buddy who's getting married. And I saw, I just stopped in my tracks. Like I've only known this girl for two, two months and here she is standing in the airport in LA next to my buddy, just like, hey. <laughs> I thought that was crazy. I really did. I didn't want anything to do at that moment of a, at that time of my life with a, a serious relationship. And she's, she flew in from Phoenix. She jumped on, she was a flight attendant, mind you. It wasn't like, you know, it was easy for her. She jumped on a plane. She flew for Southwest. She could just jump on a plane, jump seat, go out to LA and meet me for 10 minutes. And we all sat and talked for a few minutes and we left and she jumped on a plane back to Phoenix. And I was still kind of in shock and we got in the van, all five of us got in the van. I said, well, you guys think about that. That's kind of creepy. <laughs> like that's, and I mean, and she knows I mean that with all respect to her, but what she was doing was pursuing me. She knew from the day, she'll tell you this. It's not me, I'm not getting a big head about myself. She'll tell you that the day she met me, she knew God had put me in her life for a reason. And she was pursuing me. 20 years later, we're married. And I fought that pursuit for a little while longer. But all of my friends and my family were telling me, dude, look at what she's doing. She's pursuing you. You're not even worthy of her. Amen. I wasn't. <laughs> I was not. Amen. I was not in a good time in my life to be having a, a good woman pursuing me like that. But that's the image I see of pursuit. Willing to go so far as to just step out and go. She didn't know how I was going to react to that. And when I look back at it all the time now, especially when I'm going through this sermon, I think how cool was that? She was unabated in her pursuit for me. 
Are we willing to do that in our pursuit of Christ? He's calling it, come after me. The second part is to take up his cross and follow me. Now that meant a whole lot more in those days than I think it means to us in our days today. I'm not devaluing, I'm not saying that it it doesn't mean something to us, but it's just kind of poetic to us these days. We wear a cross around our neck. We have wall, uh, an entire wall in our house dedicated to crosses. Anybody else have that? Yeah. It's a beautiful symbol of what Christ did for us. I'm not taken away from that. Please don't get that. We have them on the back of our vehicles. The fish. A cross. A symbol of our belief. And we sing beautiful songs about it in our worship time. And those are all okay. They symbolize who we are and what we believe. But in Matthew 7 verse 22, he said, uh, they said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Didn't we play the part? Didn't we go to the church? Didn't we do all the things that we're supposed to do? And he says, what? Anybody? What did he say in that next bit? Get away from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not enough to be a fan of Christ. We're called to be followers. In those days, a cross represented defeat. It represented disappointment. And ultimately, it represented death. So when you look at your When you look at your wall, what does that represent to you? When you look at your, when you put that cross on, what does that represent to you? Because back then, when he said, pick up your cross and follow me, whoo, it was a whole different thing, man. They didn't want to do that. That's not something you wanted to have to do in that time. But that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants to deny ourselves, to die to our sins, to die to our goals, to die to our pleasures, etc., 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 and on. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what it meant when he said, Come after me, pick up your cross, and follow me. Leave everything behind. Die to all, everything that you're clinging to, and follow me. It wasn't so pretty. So there's three things, three other things I wanted to look at when we look at the aspect of being a follower of Christ. And my apologies for not getting Mark anything to put up there. I'll do better next time. The first one is a follower of Jesus is called. And in the first century, a disciple would find a rabbi or a teacher and ask him if he could study under him and learn from him. Much like we do when we are applying for colleges. Paul did this as a young man and was accepted to study under the great rabbi Gamaliel. And if we'll turn down to verse 57, 
In 58, we'll look at another account in the same chapter, Luke, Luke 9. Verse 57 it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now we see here a similar setting where this man seeked out, uh, sought out Jesus, not seeked, sought out Jesus and states that he will follow him wherever he goes. He's basically putting in his application, just like all the other people would do with the other rabbis. But Jesus isn't like the other rabbis. He acted contrary to the popular thinking. Because every one of his disciples was called by him. Guess you can say Jesus has that don't call me, I'll call you policy. The very fact that you trust in Jesus in faith, in worship this morning, is not of your own doing. It's an answer to a call of Jesus on your life. He found you. He brought you to himself and you became his disciple. And yet here in this account we find this man approaching Jesus. In his mind he was ready and worthy. He was an expert in the scripture. But Jesus knew better. It's not that those who are ready and have prepared themselves as those who are broken and realize that they are, are unable to follow him. Like the fishermen, like the tax collectors, like a prostitute. They knew they couldn't follow him. But he called Peter, and he called Matthew, and he called Mary Magdalene. He called the people that didn't think that they could. second point is a follower is not at home in this world. I'm always drawn to Patty Bell. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Man, she sang that so good. I miss them. As we look at a little more of this man that Jesus is talking to, this wannabe follower, we're told in the Gospel of Matthew that he was a scribe. Can somebody tell me what a scribe is or was? Anybody else? A, a scribe was an expert on the word of God. His profession was to interpret the Old Testament and the teachings of the old rabbis. And many scribes were Pharisees. The enemy of Jesus, if you will. This was a different man. He wasn't an enemy of Jesus but he wanted to follow and be a disciple of his nonetheless. And to most of us, that sounds good. Wow, here's a guy. He wants to follow. He wants to learn from Jesus. And we should admire this man for asking and for taking a stand in the midst of all of his colleagues that were Pharisees who were against Jesus. Jesus. 
And we have no reason here to think that he doesn't mean what he tells them. And that is, I'll go wherever you go. To be a disciple was a major commitment and this man thought he was ready for that. But as we see in verse 58, Jesus' response was a little bit different. And he reveals that this man wasn't actually quite ready to give up everything to follow him. Why? Because he tells him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. We can use the word roost there, which is a more permanent place than a temporary nest. But it also said there that the Son of Man has no such home. Jesus' home wasn't Nazareth where he grew up. It wasn't Capernaum where he spent most of his time in ministry. His home wasn't Jerusalem where the temple stood. His home is not on this earth. Whereas the foxes and the birds are at home here. That's their comfort. That's their go-to. And what he's telling him here is that if you want to follow him, you can't be like the fox and the birds and hold on to your comfort and hold on to your safety and your security and all of those things that we cling to that make us happy, that give us a sense of joy. We have to give up our connection to the world and to the worldly things completely and follow him. So the question always comes back, what are you clinging to? What do you have in your life? I know that's rhetorical. I don't need all your answers. We all have stuff that we cling to. But if you would turn it inside of yourself, what are you clinging to? When God calls you to do something, what is it that you value so much? Is it that king-size bed? The nest? Is it that duly pickup? What is it? We all have those things. Do we think that because we serve in the church and maybe occasionally give our time and our money to a charity, that God will be impressed enough with us? I'm afraid that's what we think sometimes. Just like in the 7th chapter of Matthew. Haven't I served you? Isn't that enough? Look at what I did. I went and visited a man in the hospital. I wanted to go see Wayne last night, but I know they won't let me in. Is that going to make me feel like I'm good enough? Look at what I did, God. I went and spent time with Wayne Webb and prayed with him. I don't think that's what he's looking at. Jesus tells us all, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to give up this world. Confess that way as sin and confess me as Lord. You can't live in both worlds. You can't be a fox and a follower. And this particular scribe wasn't ready to give that much up. Are you? The third point is a follower is always free to follow Jesus. And in verse 58 it says, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And as I read that, I started thinking to myself, how sad is that? 
And I started feeling sorry for Jesus. He didn't have a home. He's homeless. People are always bugging him. Heal me. God, Jesus, do this for me. I mean, they're always, always after him. He never got any rest. If he only had a hole or a nest to climb into and get some rest. That's how I found myself feeling about Jesus. Like, this guy has nothing. I mean, he does, but. But I want to look at it this morning as Jesus' great statement of joy and freedom. It's as if he's saying, I'm not tied down to any place. Back in my early 20s and my college days, Oh, it drove my parents crazy. I was fly by the seat of my pants guy. I considered myself a traveler. I always paid my bills. I always took care of business. But I, if I wanted to go rock climbing in California or Arizona, I'd just quit my job and I'd go rock climbing for two weeks. I wanted to live. I, wanted to, I didn't want to be tied down anywhere. And then when I got back, I'd get another job. Oh, it drove my parents crazy. But that's how I lived. He says, I'm freed by my Father to travel whenever and do whatever He calls me to do. And He also says, I'll follow the lead of my Father because my home is with Him and not of this world. That's what He's saying here. I don't have a place to lay my head. That frees me up to go do the work of God. So we're talking about travelers here. Anybody here consider themselves to be a good uh, traveler? Anybody? Yeah? Huh? Well, I used to until I started looking at definitions of travelers. And, and as a pastor from Canada, a guy named Mark Buchanan, he has a book called Your Church is Too Safe. And he points out a kind of radical difference between a, a traveler and a tourist. I became a tourist real quick. Because a traveler literally means one who travails. One who labors. Suffers. Endures. A travailer immerses himself in a culture. Learns the language and customs. Lives with the locals. Maybe imitates the local dress. And he eats anything that's set before him. Usually they're gone a long time. And when they do come back, if they do come back, they're altered forever. So what about a tourist? Found out that's what I actually am. A tourist literally means one who goes in a circle. He's just taking the scenic detour home. Only passing through. Maybe just samples the local cuisine, but if it's not very good, you just kind of, I'll go get something familiar. Never really attempts to learn the native culture or language. He retreats each night to what's safe and familiar, a foxhole or a, a nest. He returns to where he came from with a great photo album. Maybe a gaudy t-shirt, some jewelry, puka shells from the beach. Maybe a hat. 
really, I really enjoyed being a tourist in Mexico this past summer. It was great. But I was just a tourist because I was glad to be home, back in the comfort of my nest. And a tourist is usually the one that's saying, there's no place like home. I'm not sure that everyone can be a traveler. I don't know if we're all able to live like that. Or even if God is calling all of us to that. But let's transfer the idea over to our calling as a Christian this morning. Are we following Christ as a tourist or a traveler? Tourism is safe. Prearranged. Ahead of time. Where to stay. Pre-budget. How much we have to spend on it. Whether we're going to take a plane, a car, a boat. Do we stay on a house too Two blocks from the beach, are we going to get the house right on the beach? What's going to be the best? And it's fun. It's a wonderful time. But I wonder if that's how we treat our walk with Christ sometimes. We want it to be safe. We want the church to be tidy and neat. The air's got to be set just right. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's not exactly what I wanted to hear. We have our comfort. We want to take control of the environment. We want it to work out just right. In other words, a peaceful and perfect existence for us. But to be a traveler, well, it's going to get messy. It's going to get hard. Unfamiliar territory. And I believe that that's where you're going to see the enemy more prevalent in our life is when we take all of that stuff away and we say we're going to completely immerse ourselves in, in God's call on our life. We're going to feel that battle. We're going to feel that pushback way more than if the devil knows that we're just here for just a four day trip and then we'll be back home. He's going to work on those people that are saying, God, I will follow you no matter what. You're going to feel that spiritual battle. When Jesus called disciples and we'll use Matthew for an example and he said, come follow me. He didn't give Matthew a nice brochure with a three-year itinerary of all the great things that they were going to be doing. Beautiful pamphlet. Check out the, the excursions you're going to go on. He was completely in the dark. He cut ties to his job, his family, his home, and simply said yes. And he left it all behind, and he followed Christ. And it was risky. It wasn't safe for Matthew he didn't know that he would end up in Jerusalem with his leader arrested. He didn't know he would also end up getting killed for his faith. But he also didn't know of the thousands that would become saved because of the ministry of the disciples. We don't know what's ahead of us if we'll just say, okay God, we don't know the impact that we can truly have. But if we never take that step, because we're fearful of the battle we're going to have to go through, 
hmm. Think of all those saved lives that wouldn't have been saved if the disciples hadn't said, okay, I'll do it. I'll drop my net. And I'll just go. What's that taking a risk called? What is that? We like to use the word a lot. We have, have faith in God. It's faith. It's taking a risk. Taking that jump. I had faith when I jumped out of an airplane that the guy that's strapped on my back is going to pull the chute at the right time. I'm trusting him. I had faith in him. Dropping your life into the hands of the Lord takes trust. And saying, and Jesus is saying to each of us, will you trust your life into my hands and follow me? So church, I'm going to end. It's cliche, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we want to just be a body of believers who's sitting in the stands watching everyone else do battle? Comfortable with just sitting in our chairs? Cushiony, comfortable air condition. Are we okay with that? Just doing that every Sunday for an hour? I know Spence talks about this a lot. I'm not trying to be rude here. It's a question I'm asking you all. Is that enough? What's our church doing? Or are we going to listen to the call in our lives as an individual and as a church body and take up our uncomfortable crosses, our heavy crosses that he's asking us to and follow him? I know I'm speaking to believers when I say that, but if you're here this morning and you've never felt the call on God's life on your life God's call on your life and you're kind of hmm he's not really speaking he's speaking to you I'm speaking to you as well maybe you need to answer that call this morning maybe you've been kicking that idea around what does it mean what do I need to be doing what's God asking me maybe he's calling you to something more serious in your life that's you I pray that you would answer that call this morning no matter what that looks like because God is trustworthy and I believe he has great plans for each of us and for this body of believers here are we going to be travelers or are we just tourists on a nice little vacation in his name we just get out of our comfort zone a little bit go to Chicago God bless them you ever been on a mission trip? I'm, I'm going to be the first. I've never been on a mission trip. I've been serving this church for 18 years and I've never been on a mission trip with my church. I'm a tourist. It's not easy. Your sacrifice may be different than my sacrifice. Different levels. But the fruit of our sacrifices will be greater than anything we can imagine. We have no idea what he's got in store for us and for this community and for this world. God knows we need him. And we need to be following him. The world 
needs God. We don't see here in Wellston the hard things that are going on like they are in Afghanistan. Thirteen people unnecessarily lost their life a couple days ago. Many more. Those are just Americans. God is needed in the world. And if we don't follow him, if we don't stop just being tourists with our walk with Christ... How is that ever going to change? I mean, I have to, I believe God doesn't need us. God is immaculate in his abilities. But he's called us to follow him. So, let's not stay in our foxholes. We're not foxes, people. We're disciples. We're disciples of the one true king. So, let's go. You would bow your head with me.